All right, everybody, I'm Logan Alec. I'm a CPA, and this is my update for Thursday, February 18th. I've been spending a lot of time on the federal stimulus negotiations recently. Not too much to report on that front today, although a reporter did tweet early this morning that there are a few obstacles currently holding up the federal relief plan. As I've mentioned before, they're struggling with intra-party negotiations and discussions over a $15 an hour federal minimum wage. The bill is also reportedly over the original $1.9 trillion dollar limit so to speak it crossed that threshold during the market process so they're looking to trim it down a bit before it goes to reconciliation but there has been some stimulus activity at the state level here in california our governor gavin newsom and state congressional leaders just announced a new 9.5 billion stimulus plan that includes 600 direct payments to households that receive the california earned income tax credit in 2020 which is available to those with annual incomes under thirty thousand dollars there will be another $600 for people with individual tax identification numbers who are ineligible for both rounds of federal direct payments that have already gone out. Finally, the California plan provides a third set of $600 payments for those who are enrolled in the CalWORKs program or who receive supplemental security income slash state supplementary payment benefits. By what we know so far, it appears that there will be some overlap here. For example, it appears at this point that you would receive $1,200 if you have an individual tax identification number and you also qualify for the California Earned Income Tax Credit. The stimulus also provides a few other forms of aid. It includes over $2 billion in grants for small businesses, two years of fee relief for restaurants, bars, barbers, cosmetologists, and others who have been severely impacted by the pandemic, $400 million for child care stipends of $525 per child, and $100 million for low-income community college students carrying six or more units. In other state stimulus news, Maryland Governor Larry Hogan signed another state stimulus package on Monday that mirrors some aspects of the California bill while also including some unique provisions. Again, there's a set of direct payments, $500 for families and $300 for individuals. And similar to the California bill, those are limited to people who filed for the state's earned income tax credit. Those income limits depend on your filing status and how many qualifying children you have. So here's the exact breakdown from the governor's website. For example, if you file taxes jointly and you have two qualifying children, then you would be eligible for these payments if your annual income is $53,330 or lower. The bill also removes state and local taxes on unemployment benefits, which has been floated at the federal level, but uh, of course has not been passed so far. So if you receive unemployment in Maryland, as of today, at least, your benefits uh, will still be subject to federal taxes unless that changes, but not state or local taxes. They estimate this will save taxpayers over $400 million in 2021 and 2022. Guy Gazzone, the Democratic chair of the state Senate Budget and Taxation Committee, said that the final relief bill is much more generous than the version that was originally passed by the Senate and that it will help working people stay afloat during the pandemic. So if you're in California or Maryland and you are eligible for these payments, they should be going out in the near future. As of right now, it doesn't appear you need to apply or do anything like that. The Maryland State Controller said that 98% of the payments will be processed by the end of this week. So I would uh, expect if you're eligible to receive your payment maybe sometime next week um, or the week thereafter. You can go to the Maryland Relief Act information page to see if you're eligible for a direct payment. I'll put a link to that 
in the description below in case any of you need to double check. Now, if you remember the 2020 presidential campaign, I know that seems like a decade ago now, uh, but Biden did run it on a pretty progressive platform, at least with respect to immigration. And his immigration plan finally reached Congress today after it was introduced by Bob Menendez in the Senate and Linda Sanchez in the House. The most well-known provision of this bill is its eight-year pathway to citizenship for roughly 11 million undocumented immigrants, but it also covers other immigration reforms such as raising the number of available visas and providing funding for overloaded immigration courts. Now, a bill with that kind of pathway to citizenship is not going to be popular among Republicans, obviously right now. They might support some provisions in here, but it's going to be quite difficult for them to pass the bill as it is now with 60 votes uh, in the Senate. Nancy Pelosi spoke on that issue earlier today. She said, I salute the president for putting forth the legislation that he did. There are others who want to do piecemeal, and that might be a good approach too. That's up to the Congress to decide. So this could become a situation where some of the less controversial parts of the bill pass on their own, and then Biden and the congressional leadership have to decide what they want to do with the rest of it. Now, one possibility would be to put some of the provisions into the COVID relief bill. That's uh, you know being passed for reconciliation, so it only require a simple majority in the Senate. Pelosi said that it would be wonderful if they could pass these immigration laws through the reconciliation process, because then we wouldn't need the 60 votes. But she also acknowledged that these kinds of immigration provisions may not meet the Byrd rule, which requires legislation to be related to the federal budget in order to be eligible to be included in reconciliation. So there are still a lot of obstacles for Biden in terms of passing his immigration plan. But as I said, this was a key part of his campaign, so I would expect him to be pretty aggressive in pursuing those goals. The Department of Labor released its weekly jobless claims data early this morning. There were 861,000 seasonally adjusted initial claims, 13,000 more than there had been the week before. Of course, that does not uh, include PUA. So there's another sign of a slow recovery. Obviously, our unemployment rate is a lot lower than it was at the peak. It was at 6.3% in January versus almost 15% in April of last year, but that's still an elevated figure compared to the 3.5% unemployment we saw in February 2020, right before COVID hit the U.S. This graph from the Department of Labor shows the effect of the pandemic on unemployment. Obviously, it peaked in April and May of last year, and since then, it's been a pretty slow but still consistent downward trajectory. Now, keep in mind that trends at the national level sometimes block out what's happening in individual states. For example, Ohio had an increase of nearly 100,000 initial unemployment claims this week. California had almost 30,000, but Florida's numbers went down by close to 50,000, and New York had a drop of around 17,000. So the economy uh, is doing better in some places than others and in some industries than others, but overall, we still have a ways to go before we get back to where the economy economy was before the pandemic. All right, so that's the stimulus news, the Congress news, you know, the labor news and all that. In terms of public health, the National Center for Health Statistics it just found that the American life expectancy declined by roughly one full year during just the first half of 2020, falling from 78.8 years in 2019 all the way down to 77.8. And that was the biggest drop since the U.S. was involved in World War II. Now, 
that wasn't a flat one-year decline for everyone. The African-American life expectancy fell much further at 2.7 years. And similarly, it was 1.9 years for Hispanic Americans, but just 0.8 years for white uh, white and non-Hispanic Americans. There was also a smaller gender gap with life expectancy jo- uh, dropping 1.2 years for men and 0.9 years for women. The racial gap and the effects of COVID-19 brought the differences in life expectancy for white and black Americans up to six years, which is obviously a problem uh, that goes far beyond the pandemic and everything we're dealing with right right now with that. Of course, things should come back closer to normal throughout 2021, but I thought these statistics really illustrated the impact of COVID-19 and how many people it has affected over the past year or so. There was also a new study published yesterday in the New England Journal of Medicine. They found that while the Pfizer vaccine is effective against the British variant of COVID-19, it might not be as effective against the South African variant that has been spreading over the past few months. So the vaccine still helped people produce antibodies, but those levels were about two-thirds lower for the South African variant of COVID compared to the most common variant that's spreading in the U.S. Now, this is an early study. The authors even say that it is unclear what effect a reduction in neutralization by approximately two-thirds would have on protection from the South African variant. And I'm sure there will be many, many more studies on this issue in the future. Andy Slavitt, one of Biden's COVID-19 advisors, said, each of the vaccine companies, and I've talked to all of them, Both the ones approved and the candidates have plans to continue to update their vaccines and, if need be, create boosters down the road if there continue to be additional mutants, as there likely will be. Some of the major vaccine providers, including Moderna and Pfizer-BioNTech, have already announced these plans publicly, and that will become even more urgent if we continue encountering new strains that resist our current vaccine. So there will be an ongoing effort to keep the vaccines updated with whatever the new variants are. They can't just make one vaccine and call it good, and our ability to protect against unexpected variants will be critical in terms of reducing the spread and getting back to normal or whatever the new normal is in 2021. Just one last thing for today. Obviously, there's a long way to go before the federal stimulus passes, so it's a little early to speculate beyond that. But some reports are already looking at Biden's second major spending bill, which is expected to include a substantial investment in infrastructure, as well as some other policy priorities, such as manufacturing, clean energy production, and elder and child care. And of course, when you start working on a bill of that magnitude, there will be calls to include a wide range of other provisions to be thrown in there as well. So there will probably be another protracted negotiation over what gets in and what ends up being left out or being passed separately. Washington Post is reporting that some Democratic officials think that bill could include up to $3 trillion in new spending, which would make it more than 50% larger uh, than what we expect the stimulus bill to reconciliation to be. As I said, it's still very early. This is ultimately just speculation on what will come next, but it gives you an idea of where we might be headed uh, after the current round of negotiations. All right, everybody, that is all I have for you today. Not a whole lot of news on stimulus, at least at the federal level, but that should pick up next week as the bill makes it through the budget and rules committees and Democrats get ready for a floor vote in the House. Thank you so much for watching to the end. I really do appreciate it, and I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.